Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, created by the team at the Sober Network. The Sober Network has engaged in revolutionizing the treatment industry by creating its own token economy. We offer fresh ideas to an industry that has relied on dated interventions. We are responsive to a new generation of substance users who are attached to their phones so we can impact massive social change. Our unmatched technology displays solutions of our various brands, demonstrating a thorough understanding of how we get things done. We are proving that technology, along with incentivized human accountability, provides measurable and positive outcomes. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Welcome to the Sober Podcast, part of the Soberverse, brought to you by Sober Network. I am your host, Jamie Brickhouse, and today I'm thrilled that we have, um, full disclosure, one of my dear friends, uh, Mark Shank, on the show. He's an accomplished journalist tuning in from New York to share his sobriety and some highlights in his career. Thank you for being on the show, Mark. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you, Jamie. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found recovery? Wow. Okay. Well, I was, I'm from the DC area. Yeah. I um, was the, uh, the much wanted, much loved child of two um, 40-ish alcoholics. I mean, that's, they were 40s. My mom was 41 when I came into the world. I'm adopted, but I always knew I was loved. Um, our house was a little different. Um, my dad always slept till way afternoon on the weekends. Um, my parents drank every night. Um, but there was no, nothing bad I saw. In fact, it was quite glamorous. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then I, you know, just being a little gay boy, um, I've learned that straight people don't feel like they belong either. <laughs> but I didn't feel like I belong. Uh, as I got older and that cocoon, uh, you know, weekend and the, the big bad world um, became part of my life. So I was bullied and all that. I, uh, my dad's alcoholism got very uh, bad and he became a real ogre. I thought I hated him mm-hmm. by the time I was a teenager. Um, my sister has mental illness and that's also the family dynamic was not very good. Um, in college, and, and I started drinking beer when I was very young, maybe 12. I loved it. Um, when I went to high school, I did 
hallucinogens and marijuana, and I love that. Anything to get me out of myself, to make me feel comfortable around my peers. Yeah. And it just was that way. And, um, well, you'll figure out my age, I guess. In 1988, I was, had already come to Manhattan. Um, and a At friend asked me. To them, what? At the age of 10. Yes. Thank you. Age <laughs> of 10. Yes. No, I was 22. I came to Manhattan and um, a girlfriend who I always thought I had had a drinking problem, which is just so funny because I had a drinking problem too. But, you know, you all, I can notice it in other people and be very judgy. Right. Uh, asked me to go to a meeting with her. And I went to a place called Perry Street. And I oh, always liked Perry the Street. dive bars. And it seemed like a dive bar with no booze. They were the kookiest and it was like that scene. That's a almost, perfect description. Yeah. It reminded me of that scene in Star Wars that I don't even like science fiction, but where they go to that <laughs> bar with all the weird, you know, just to my mind, it seemed that way with all the cigarette smoke. And I was like, God, this place is fascinating. And I'm so happy it exists for people like my father and Celeste, mm. uh, not knowing that I already qualified. Um, yeah. And then in, um, also that year, it was the year I came to New York, I found out I was HIV positive. And, yeah. uh, and so I gave up hard drugs. And that's a great thing. So I gave up hard drugs. And, uh, and this is 1988. So there was really no, yes. no, you know, cure medicines or no way to manage it. And, really. um, right, it was a death sentence. And I, I think I had a healthy bit of denial. On the other hand, I also... Uh, took part in ACT UP and would go to um, support groups. And, but I, I just went on with my life, but I didn't do hard drugs. But I figured alcohol couldn't be bad for you. It's legal. Uh, <laughs> same with pharmaceuticals. So I was popping clonopins and drinking six pack after six pack. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, my life didn't advance. And then bad things happened. Really bad things. I've been robbed. I've had a gun held to my head. Oh my I've, uh, yeah, I've been beaten up, raped even. You know, I'm just, it's just a catalog of things. Now, these things happen to sober people too, but not as much, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> at least in my experience. So in 81, after a staff Christmas party that ended up with me wandering Times Square. 81 um, or 91? Eight, 91, sorry, 91. 1991, I, I called uh, Intergroup. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, the, I remember her voice. She sounded like an older woman. And she was just so sweet and loving and told me where to go. And I went and I took to it like a fish to water. It was so much fun. Um, I had also just met somebody who turned out to be my first partner, or I soon met. So I didn't follow all the suggestions. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I had about almost 90 days. Um, anyway, I, uh, had a glass of white wine Yeah, and nothing bad happened. So I figured, well, um, life, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've learned to, to conquer this. So that started the rest of my life, which was 20 years of me doing things I never would have done things that are, you know, I'm ashamed of and mm -hmm. drugs, booze, you name it. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it just went like that for 20 years. 20 years. Wow. That is a long. 
Yeah. So I don't say I slipped because it was so long. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so that was relapse, a, a, a yeah, it was not a relapse. It was, it was, I mean, it was, I had an 80 something day respite. Um, and what brought you after 20 years? What, um, what brought you back? Misery. Or what got you back into recovery? Yeah. Um, misery. Um, I, I had a mother who was displaying early, well, I didn't know. I thought it was um, just her alcoholism, but she was displaying early um, on early signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was taking care of her. I had to do an intervention and uh, get her out of where she was living. And my life was just, work was becoming hard because I was calling in sick all of the time. Um, I had a partner. And um, I loved him very much. And he had children and the son I especially loved to bits. And he got sick of me um, being a blackout drunk most nights of the week. Yeah. And so he dumped me. And then I was taking care of uh, this wonderful but impossible woman. And eventually um, on New Year's Eve, I was a complete jerk. And uh, somebody I was seeing called my therapist and told on me. Mm. And uh, she didn't acknowledge that she knew me. She just listened to him. And when I went in for my next session, she said, I spoke to this guy, Bob Griffith. And he tells me this, this, and this. I said, "Uh, yes. And she goes, well, you have a choice. You can go to um, rehab or AA. And I said AA because I had too much pride. Um, (laughs) You know, I didn't think anyone knew. Mm, right. Um, and actually, I did have another choice. I could have just said, you know, screw right. you. I'm I'm not doing either. But no, that's what I did. And so that started this journey. And that's great. That was, I love uh, those moments of, um, you know, and recently in meetings, I was, was in there's just we've been talking about uh, the moment of grace, moment of providence, moment of, you know, white light moment. And it sounds like that was it for you. That was that moment. And and the moment, you know it it's not necessarily a burning bush or a lightning striking or something like that. It's just that moment when you decide, when you, when you take it, when you're, when you're, when you're offered the hand of, of help and sobriety and rather than, rather than dismissing it, you know, you say, Oh, okay, I'll do that. You know, just like you said, you could have, you could have, it was that moment. I was ready. Or you could have said F you and kept walking. No. And I had a few, when I look back, there was a woman, there's a woman named Diane, who, an older lesbian. And um, she actually was my grand sponsor in 1990. Once um, she picked me up in a cab right before I came in, I didn't recognize her. I just knew she was familiar and she yeah. started talking to me and I was very depressed and I was talking about my life and she gave me a card with her number. I mean, that was one of those little God moments that might've, you know, taken if I'd been quite ready. I wasn't desperate enough yet. Yeah. Yeah. To take the moment. Um, so you are, you are, um, a journalist and, and you have had a pretty illustrious career uh, in my opinion. And, um, is there a specific, um, uh, part of the industry you work, you've worked in? You want to tell us? I I write about business topics. Uh Um, I wrote about energy for two decades. So, I mean, yeah, a very gay guy dealing with oil. Um, so, yes. 
uh, dealing with Middle Easterners and Texans. Uh, but no, it's, it was very interesting. Now I'm writing about other commodities. Yeah. How has um, sobriety affected your, or let's see, how has, how has your alcoholism, how did it affect your work when you were active and how has it, how has it changed? Um, <laughs> it changed during recovery. Well, uh, I working, um, I worked for my first, jo- the job I was in and I was at this company for 18 years. Um, it was, it was a difficult place, mm-hmm. but once I stopped drinking, it got a lot easier. And I remember my first <laughs> job. Yeah, funny how that works. You know, I really was, I had no idea of how much I put other people out by, by calling in all the time yeah. or just being irritable. Um, so, no, that, that helped right away. Um, you know, I thought it helped me beforehand because I could go out with people and get drunk with them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of those work relationships became rather, you know, crossed the line and we became more friends. And with one who was really my best source, a really nice straight man, um, you know, things got out of hand. And so we never were able to speak again. So it was already wrecking (laughs) my professional life in a way, um, you know, or not getting invited back to things because I made a complete jerk of myself. At a, um, I think it was GLAAD Awards and I was at some company's table. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you don't get blackout drunk there. And GLAAD Awards, that's a gay and lesbian. Yeah. Um, what's the rest of it? Anti-defamation, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. media awards. Yeah, so yeah, uh, there you are. And some actually brokerage company, boring, you know, brokerage company, you're invited to be at their table. And I don't know what I did, but I never spoke to the PR lady there again. Uh-oh. But that is- <laughs> Well, listen, we're going to just take a quick uh, little commercial break and we will be right back. Um, so stick with us. The Sober Podcast is giving a voice to recovery and is now part of the Soberverse. Join our new virtual sober environment where you can connect with other people like yourself or find helpful resources on the following digital spaces. Soberverse.com, SoberNetwork.com, Sober.com, SoberSystems.com, SoberPodcast.com, SoberCoin.com, and RecoveryCoaches.com. And we are back. You have, uh, it's 10 years, right? Of continuous. Um, it was 11 years on January 3rd. Ah, oh, congratulations. Um, and what do you uh, do to continue your path to stay sober? And how is, and also in a follow-up to that question is how has your sobriety changed through the years? Okay, well, um, I go to meetings. I love them. They're yeah. the greatest show on earth, I find. And uh, <laughs> I yeah, I'm not, a, uh, not the biggest Zoom fan, although that was a lifesaver during the pandemic. And it still is a gift, you know, being able to drop in on meetings in other places. But there I have a, I have a couple home groups and I just, yeah, I'd love going to meetings. I have a sponsee. I have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done, I've gone through the steps and I'm taking somebody through the steps right now, which is, it can be stressful, but it's also rewarding. Yeah. And it is funny being connected and doing service 
really is what works for me. And it's both inside and outside of the program, I find. Yeah. So. Um, you know, and uh, to me, you're, you're, you're one of the gifts of sobriety because it's funny, you and I have a, so much in common and similar interest and likes. And uh, we've been in New York for about the same amount of time. And it, we always joke about the fact that we've never, as far as we know anyway, um, never met each other while we were both um, active uh, in New York City and didn't meet until until sobriety. But you know what? I, and maybe it's a good thing because, you know, maybe, you know, I, you would have offended me and I would have offended you uh, while we were while we were drunk and, um, you know, and, and then never spoken again. So, um, so I'm glad we met. So. And I was the kind of person, have you upset me at a bar? I would go up behind you and pour a drink on your head. Oh, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I learned behavior for both Betty Davis movies. I'm that kind of gay, yeah, you know, get yeah. me drunk. I thought that dramatic. <laughs> I, you know, I was going to say I was not that way, but I was on occasion. Um, I did. Someone didn't like my singing at um, this gay bar, the townhouse, a piano bar. And it was Christmas time. And uh, I think I was um, I was adding, you know, uh, uh, naughty lyrics to um, uh, favorite Christmas carols. And uh, <laughs> you know, for some reason, they didn't appreciate it. And. Um, I said F you and then picked up a poinsettia and threw it in the piano and I was thrown out of that bar. <laughs> but luckily I have no, re- I have no recollection of that. I was in a blackout and um, I had to be told that that happened. So oh. maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. <laughs> um, what is the most difficult struggle you've been through in sobriety since you've been sober and how did you overcome it? Well, I had two that would, that are right up there. Yeah. And they were outward, you know, it's not something I did. Um, my, um, I was fired from that awful job after 18 years. Yeah. I can look at it as God doing something for me that I wouldn't do for myself. Right. But it's, it was hard. It still is. I'm still in debt because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was making very good money and working very hard. And um, yeah, they, they got rid of me. And that was, it hurts your self-esteem. Yeah. And it's just very hard to get hired when you're over 50, I find. Right. So, so that was very tough. But How'd you know, you get through it? how'd you get through it? Though? Well, the program, talk about weird. I had no sponsees. Within two months, I had three. I was sharing and then so helping and others. The, yeah. And those three were a handful. <laughs> um, and then um, I got service positions. I became the overall chair at a meeting, which, mm-hmm. you know, had. I think five meetings. And I also became a uh, chair of another meeting. So I was doing, so service filled a lot of my time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you do things that aren't in the program. I also picked up yoga and that really helped too. Cause I tend to run like a hummingbird and it's nice <laughs> to be forced to move in a measured way. Yeah. 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 That's a great image. And what was the other one? You said there were two things. Oh my God. And then, yes. And then, so, Hey, I think, I know you relate to this because we both had very intense smothering relationships with our mothers. Yeah. Um, and my, my mother became dependent on me. And so I had mm-hmm. to move her to New York for the last decade of her life. Right. And watch her decline and take care of her. And, you know, the thing that that's amazing, and this is the program as well. First of all, I had a place to share. Sure. Some people were sick of hearing me talk about it, but, <laughs> 
You know, I had a place to share. I feel sorry for civilians who might not have, you know, a great social network and don't have meetings. I know what you mean. I feel that way too. I'm like, I think everyone, yeah. even if they're not an alcoholic, should go through the program um, to have, have that. Yeah, I know. It really helps. And then, so she was in hospice the last three days. And, you know, I always thought, oh, well, I will need a Xanax. I'll need this. I didn't. And people from the program keep cycling through that room. And so I was supported. And yeah. that was really lovely. And it was. It was the rooms. Um, it's funny. Um, the um, day, uh, that day, as soon as I left the, uh, uh, the hospice that morning, um, I got a call from a woman well into her 80s um, who I really care about in the rooms. And, you know, I mean, she was worried about me, but I was so much worried about her again, taking, you know, getting it off myself. Right. Right. I mean, I, mean, I think I always was somewhat empathetic um, and cared, but, you know, I can do it much better and without, um, and, yeah, much better without being crocked all the time. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And I remember your, I mean, I, I, I certainly was there to see your mother's um, decline and to see what, how, how much you loved and supported her and, uh, and then going through her death. So, and you did it beautifully and so well and soberly. So. Well, and you took me out to a nice great. restaurant the night of her viewing. I got to, I got to thank you again. It's the folks of the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're welcome. You know, people show you kindnesses. There's not everyone, but boy, I've been shown so much love and kindness. Yeah, I found a lot of that. There's a lot of that um, in in the sober world. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Or are you on the social media? What's um... well, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm also on. Um, uh, Instagram. Gosh, I'm so old. Instagram. Right. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn too. I'm easy to find, but um, uh, I don't check Instagram very often. So I don't even know my handle there. All right. So yeah. the best word is to look, follow you on Facebook, uh, Mark Shank. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much, my dear, for joining us on the Sober Podcast today. And thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us too. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Mark. Um, and I am Jamie Brickhouse, your host. I'm the author of the booze and recovery memoir, Dangerous When Wet, a memoir of booze, sex, and my mother. And I do a, um, uh, I tell a true story every day wearing high heels on TikTok. Um, you can find me there at Jamie underscore Brickhouse. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Jamie Brickhouse. Thanks everyone for being here again, Mark. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you here signing out from the sober podcast. We'll be back with another show next week. Sayonara. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the sober podcast. We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us on the soberpodcast.com. You can also reach us on our social media platform on the soberverse. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. 
Jamie Brickhouse, our host, Carrie, our producer, Carl Fessenden, our voice, and our sponsor, The Sober Network. 